Um, in the beginning of uh, at the, at the cover of your worship folder, uh, really uh, summarizes where we're going and how we should be thinking about our Bibles. Uh, that cover is uh, a template. It's a guide to the Bible itself. Last Sunday, we covered Luke 24, the that famous passage of the Emmaus uh, Road journey where Jesus explains the scriptures to these two disciples in uh, Luke 24, 27. And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he, be, he opened to them the scriptures and all the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And so we are in on a great story as a church. Um, and there is a structure to your Bible, a structure to your Bible. You have a relationship to this building right now. Um, I don't think many of us thought about it, but as we walked into this building, um, you have a relationship with it. And that is that you are implicitly trusting that the I-beams, there are steel I-beams holding you up. There's a floor below you, in case you don't know that. And the I-beams are holding you up. There's I-beams covered right here. I was here when these were exposed before the drywall covers them. And those I-beams are vitally important. They're more important than the carpet. They're more important than the windows. And when you go up a big, tall building, maybe you're aware. Maybe you think about the structure of that building. Or maybe when you're in an airplane, you think a bit about the this, this structure of the wings or the, how this thing is going to work. Structure is extremely important, and when you think about your Bible, there is a structure to it. There's a way of, organ- of organizing it. There's a way in which God interacts with human beings. In fact, it's the only way. There's only one way that God interacts with human beings, and the answer is through covenant, through covenant. And so those names on the cover of your worship folder, the names there are representatives of covenants in the Bible. So this morning we're going to start just and spend just some brief moments in the Bible, how it starts. We know God does this extraordinary work called creation, six days long, and on the sixth day, it seemed as if uh, God couldn't wait for the sixth day when God makes this extraordinary being man and breathes into this being life. And this being is, uh, is like no other being. This is one who would have a capacity to reflect the divine image. In Genesis 1, 26, 27, 28, you hear God speaking, and the Trinity is con- conversing about the creation of man. Let us make man in our image. And so... Man was made in the image of God. Now, that's unique. In the ancient world, there was only one person in a, in a nation who ever, ever, ever reflected the image of a God, and that was the king. You had to be royalty to have that title. Well, Moses, who authored the first five books of, the, of, our, of our Bible, is sending a huge message to not only Israel, but to the world. Man was made with this extraordinary capacity, and it's not just the kings who reflect that special capacity, it is your average common person given the dignity to reflect the image of uh, their creator. Extraordinary. So the Bible is about covenants, covenants, and God breathes into man life, and God comes and makes a covenant with this man. And I put on your, in your worship folder 
on, uh, on, the, on the sermon page, there's an outline for you and some thoughts about a covenant that it might be worth uh, having some sort of definition. What's a def- what would be a good definition of a covenant? And I think this works for us. A covenant is written out for you there. Is an unchangeable, divinely imposed, notice those two words, divinely imposed. It isn't as though God is conversing with Adam. Well, Adam, how would you like it to go? What would you like? What would, let's, let's put together a contract. How's it? It's divinely imposed. It is for Adam's good. God makes the stipulations. Divinely imposed legal agreement between God and man that stipulates the conditions of their relationship. Further in your worship folder there, if that, if that uh, we could add a few thoughts to that from the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 7. The first covenant made with man was a covenant of works, wherein life was promised to Adam and in him to his posterity upon condition of perfect and personal obedience. Now, you all know that uh, the story continues, praise God. Uh, We know that Adam uh, is going to make a train wreck of this uh, beautiful moment in history. We know that he's going to be a a rebel, right? So you know that um, there is going to be a second Adam. And I would encourage you to take this framework and this big story and work it into your conversations while you're flipping pancakes with your kids. Have this as your conversation in Deuteronomy 6. Parents, raise up your children in this way as you walk along the way, as you sit down, as you flip pancakes, as you're at the stoplight. You're at 7-Eleven, you're at aisle 6 in Safeway or the commissary. You're talking about, now who was the first Adam? Adam. Who was the second Adam? Jesus. Before you get to the checkout stand, this is the way we're supposed to be talking with our kids. Your children should be raised just as they know fractions and and all the, all the things that are learning as they're growing up, they should learn these kinds of things. Of course, that's how the Bible unfolds. There's one Adam and there's another Adam. The first one blew it, the second one didn't. Amen. <laughs> there you go. It's very important that we, it's very, very important. You are, you are global thinkers, by the way. That's how you think. You summarize things. You're going to summarize this sermon. I don't know. How was it? I don't know. You'll have roast pastor for lunch, right? And talk it over. We condense things down to bumper stickers. That's it. That's how we think. Well, that's what the Bible does, too, and Jesus does it better than any of us. The whole book's about me. So, this first Adam, it's a, unique, it's a unique scenario. The scenario goes like this. Adam, here it is, this incredible creation. Every good thing has been, nothing's been withheld from you. This, is, this creation is for your dominion. You are to extend my dominion to this creation. That's one of the unique cap- capacities. Fish just are fish. Dogs are just dogs. Your dog might think it rules the house, perhaps, or a rooster might think he rules the neighborhood, right? We all know that's an illusion, right? It's just a little tiny animal. Well, for us, when God made us, he said, make, turn wood into pulpits. Make things, create things. Take my created order and shape it and, and work it. Extend my dominion, extend my glory through your hands, the things you make, the things you think. That's just how we are. And even though though we fell into sin, we're still thinking in terms of, I don't know, the Golden Gate Bridge. That's an expression of dominion over the water and the expanse. And this this distance is no trouble for our steel beams and our architecture and our design. Let's do it. So we're still thinking, even as fallen human beings, we're still thinking of... of dominion. We still think of like polio. No. 
Let's not have this be a disease that we have to succumb to. Let's, let's express our dominion over it. See what I'm saying? So I like to put it this way. We don't succumb to atoms. We split them. And there's a whole big worldview there, by the way. Massive, massive worldview. Huge difference um, with the, the biblical mindset and worldview. So, so the uniqueness of man, let's, let's first of all realize that man was made good, and God is restoring the goodness of that creation. So the story of man is not that man was made evil, and we're just sinners, and then God comes up with a plan to somehow fix the situation. We were made good, made holy, uh, made as, as, a, as extenders of God's dominion, and uh, given a royal status in this, in this world. Amazing conclusion to uh, the sixth day. God beheld all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. God places his own benediction on his, on his work. Um, and when God says something is good, I, I think that, that pretty much meets the standard, wouldn't you say? Yeah. And so the uniqueness of man uh, is where we start. And then, then the covenant with man is, is expressed in Genesis 2, 15 through 17. It's sort of condensed right there where God is concluding, well, here's the creation, Here's what's been made for you. Here's the agreement. Here's how it's going to work. And uh, it starts in verse 15 of chapter 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. One of the unique things about the first Adam is that through his obedience to God's perfect and good law, through his obedience, he would, in a sense, uh, have his own righteousness, right? In other words, he would be righteous through obedience. Now, everyone who was born in Adam has a real problem. They do not have righteousness. So, the way we... Uh, get out of that situation is through the second Adam, Jesus Christ, who is now going to grant us what we don't have. He's going to give us his righteousness. There's a little, little distinction there between the first and second Adam. The second Adam doesn't um, gives to us what he what he um, what he has of his obedience under God's law. So God, here's the deal: God chose a representative system. I don't know how you feel about that. But someone else represented you in the garden. You weren't there. I wasn't there. How do you feel about your representatives in Washington, D.C. these days? Are you all, you're good with them? See, when I bring up to Americans representatives, everybody drops their head. Oh, it's like, wow, did you have to bring that up? Isn't it great, though, when you're like, maybe on a, a softball team and somebody hits the home run or hits the, hits the single that wins the game? And Don't you feel good about that representative? That's a good representative. So if the representative does well, we're really good with them, right? But if they don't do well, we're wondering why, we, why weren't we asked? <laughs> uh, Representatives have a huge, 
huge implications for everyone else. Right now, the um, Center for Disease Control is under the gun. The disease is coming over from Africa. Those are our representatives. Are you watching the news? Are you listening? Someone else is representing you. It gets you on the edge of your seat, doesn't it? It's interesting, though, we've really adjusted pretty well to Adam's failure. We really have. I, no one ever asks me. No one ever seems to be concerned about um, Adam. Not many people even talk about him. I mean, he ends up in children's like Sunday school curriculum, cute little pictures of Adam and Eve, right? But really, we, we, we don't, he's like, not even, not on, not on my radar. We live with the consequences of Adam all the time. All the time. It'd be interesting for us to maybe have some buses pull into the parking lot here. And uh, what are we going to do, Pastor Todd? Just follow me. We pull into Punchbowl Memorial Cemetery. And then I finish the sermon there. Have you ever been in a church where off to the, through the windows, somewhere off to the right or left, you see the cemetery, you see the tombstones right through the windows? Or how about a cathedral in Europe where people are like in the floors or in the walls, like Westminster Cathedral? But we, we're just sort of like, we figured out, we, we've adjusted to this, we've adjusted to this. We know that there's this fall and we've fallen into sin, but the whole idea of death, we've we sort of like, just, I don't know, we just, we sort of define a good life as a certain amount of years, experiencing so many joys and pleasures in life, and we sort of like, we, we have accommodated. We've accommodated to it. There was a band out of England called Super Tramp. I love dating myself. And uh, they had an, al- an album, and uh, it was entitled, uh, Crisis? What crisis? And it was a picture of a guy on the top of, a, of an apartment complex in England somewhere with pollution going all around, just, just ugly factories spewing just smoke and just it, all around him. And he was sitting there in a, in a, in a lounge chair. It's kind of like a cartoon picture. And, and he was there in a lounge chair with a little drink and sunglasses. And the caption above said, crisis? What crisis? Just kind of lost his own little world. So we, we've learned how to sort of adjust to this thing called, called Adam's sin. We've become comfortable with it. But the Bible uh, describes the fall in terms of the reign of death. God promises Adam life through obedience, but he almost also promises death through disobedience. And, of course, the serpent uh, first works with Eve, and he successfully undermines the goodness of God. True living is being withheld from you, Eve. The life that you ought to have is not yet your experience. So she is drawn to the fruit, shares it with her husband, and, and what we call the fall Begins. Death begins to reign. If you want a commentary, you see, one of the interesting things about this passage is it's so compact, compact and short. We don't really get the sense of, of really what, what happens. I mean, we, 
we, we hear a few things, but to get to have a commentary on this, read Genesis 4 through 11. If you want to know what happens when man becomes a rebel, man becomes a sinner, read Genesis 4 through 11, violence, sexual disorder, misery, defiance, chaos, difficulties, rebellion. Of course, one of the descriptions in Genesis 3-7 is when man is aware of his condition now no longer in in the favor of God, but now outside of God's favor is the sense of shame. They, they realize they are naked. They sew fig leaves together uh, in order to cover them themselves. Alienation, the German word angst, depression, sadness, despair, blaming, relationships fall apart. They've lost the center of knowledge, understanding, purpose, and of course, we mentioned death begins to reign. The Heidelberg Catechism describes this as our misery. Francis Schaeffer summarized man's condition. He was an author, writer, pastor in the 70s and early 80s. That man's condition is a condition of alienation, alienated from God, others, and ourselves. Again, there's this, this sense in us that what are we going to do with this? Do we, we, do we turn away from it? Do we, do we engage this? Do, do we search in this to understand fully how it is that we are redeemed? Do, do we appreciate what, what God is doing by way of another covenant that's going to emerge? Surprise, surprise, God does not have to be merciful to man. God would have been perfectly just to enact his justice at this moment, and that would have been the story of man. But we learn more about the heart of God. We learn more about what God intends for man in Genesis 3.15. This, this somewhat of an um, unclear but... Um, enigmatic statement. It's a statement where God is speaking to the serpent and he is declaring something that will happen in the future. God is functioning like a prophet here and saying that he will put enmity between the woman's seed and Satan's seed. It is as if Satan has created a rebel, a rebel people and God is going to be faithful to a remnant, and he is going to bring a warrior down the road who is going to crush the serpent's head. Satan will deal a, 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 a wound to, to this warrior, but ultimately what, what this warrior does to Satan will be much more catastrophic. It will ruin Satan and kill him and kill his intentions. So we have the promise of a of a redeemer in Genesis 3:15. A champion is coming. He will do battle. That's the first installment of what's called the covenant of grace. The covenant of grace. 
And what we're going to now begin to see in our, in our series is the unfolding of the covenant of grace. The, the structure is now going to be developed as the Bible unfolds. The I-beam of the covenant of grace is now, going to, is now going to be seen. And the next statement of it will be very clear and expand the intention when God calls Abraham. And he says to Abraham in Genesis 17, he says, I will be your God and the God of your children as well. And God now is going to expand and increase what the covenant of grace is going to look like, how he's going to save, who he's going to save. When God makes covenants, and I'll wrap it up here, when God makes covenants, he is always accompanying signs of the covenant. When Adam and Eve walked by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when they walked by the tree of life, these trees were symbolic. They represented God's words. And so for however long this took place, they walked by that, those trees and they would know what God thought of them. Maybe Adam and Eve talked like this. Hey, I haven't eaten the fruit, have you? No, then God must think this of us. They were symbols of the relationship of what God thought of them. As you look at the Bible, God is communicating symbols that are communicating what he thinks of you. When you shake someone's hand, you're communicating something without words. Is that correct? I mean, it'd be kind of awkward. Hi, I'm shaking your hand. That would be kind of... You usually don't say anything when you shake someone's hand, right? But are you communicating when you shake the hand? Yes. You're communicating in the action, right? When you give someone a kiss, are you communicating? I think so. All right. When God interacts with human beings through covenants, he's communicating. He's telling people what he is thinking about them at that moment. Now, just the other day, I didn't see a rainbow, but I was looking for one. When we got three inches of rain in about six hours right here in this little valley, I needed God's communication. God, tell me what you think of me. Will you destroy my little house with water? And when God creates a rainbow in the sky, do you know what you're to think in that moment? This is Genesis 6. Sometimes we think way back on, oh, yeah, that's that story of Noah and all that. I remember that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I remember that. What you're to think at that moment is I know what God's thinking at this moment. That's pretty cool, isn't it? I know what, who can say that? Who can say that you know what God's thinking? Who can say that you know what God's thinking? The Bible tells you that you can know what God's thinking. So when you take these elements, you can know that Jesus is saying, I want to be your friend. I am your friend. And this is the extent of my friendship with you. I gave my life for you. I was the second Adam for you. I want you to know I gave you my righteousness for you. That the law of God was above you and hovering over you. And you had guilt all the time, shame all the time. You could not make yourself. You could not perfect yourself. The covenant that you were born into in Adam you could not fulfill, but God was holding you accountable for it. 
So if you are in Adam, you can pretend all you want. You can look all the way. You can, you can have uh, facelifts and eat, uh, drink uh, wheatgrass. You can do whatever you want, but you are still in Adam. And all the consequences of being in Adam and that representative are yours. Now, whew, how about having all the consequences of being in the second Adam yours as well? You see, we fell into this misery through a representative, but we are granted God's righteousness and grace and salvation through a second Adam, through a second representative as well. And God just as he communicated to the first Adam, this is what I think of you. Walk through the garden. Look at my trees. Look at my glory. This is what I think of you. You're the capstone of my creation. Everything is yours. Well, it's interesting, isn't it, that God does the same thing for us. Blessed are the meek, for theirs is the whole earth. Right? God's communicating to you. I'm, I'm, I'm restoring you. I think of you. I love you. I want you to know my love. I want you to sense my love. I want you to live in my love. I want you to know you're always meant to live as the son of God, being your mediator, being the inter intermediary between you and me. You see, God wants to communicate that to you. Now, if you're in Adam today and you're just saying, man, I don't quite get all this stuff. Here's what I want you to know is we're here for you. And we are talking about this rescue through Jesus by sheer grace. None of us got here because we're clever or because our religion counted for anything. We are here just sheer grace. And if we can explain something to you that would help you to understand what it means to believe in Jesus and why that's such an incredible rescue, where you can walk through a cemetery and say, this ain't the last, this is not the last statement about what it means to be a human being. You can live in that wonderful, glorious news. I, we want to share that with you. And we'd love to have a chance to talk to you about that. So this is the beginning. Take that cover, put it on your Metropolitan Refrigerator of Art. Put it there and begin to think about it and be able to talk about this with your children and with your spouse. Talk it over. This is the story. This is the, these are your people. This is, the, this, is the, this is the big, big story. I hope you're excited about it. Let's pray.